get to our seat and get our Bibles, amen? And I'm excited to, to be here tonight, and uh, Pastor Malcolm called me a few days ago and asked if I would fill in, and so I was immediately excited and immediately nervous and immediately happy, and that's uh, how it goes when, when Pastor Malcolm calls you. So um, I'm not sure where he's at, but I hope he's having fun or preaching or doing whatever he's doing. And I'm glad to be here tonight. I want you to take your Bible and go to Romans chapter number 15. Romans chapter number 15. For the, the sake of those that may not recognize my face, my name is Travis Sharp. I'm the uh, director of Unsheltered International, which is one of the many missionary organizations and outreaches that Temple supports and is involved in. And my wife, uh, April, is here, and our son, Hunter, and a lot of friends. So it's our joy to be with you tonight. All right, Romans chapter uh, 15, and I want to start reading in verse number 8. And we'll just read in verse 8 and on down. The Bible says, now I, be, uh, now I say that Jesus Christ was a minister of the circumcision for the truth of God to confirm the promises made unto the fathers and that the Gentiles might glorify God for His mercy. As it is written, For this cause I will confess to thee among the Gentiles and sing unto thy name. And again he saith, Rejoice, ye Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all ye Gentiles, loud him, all ye people. And again, Isaiah saith, There shall be a root of Jesse, and he that shall rise to reign over the Gentiles. In him shall the Gentiles trust. Now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that ye may abound in hope through the power of the Holy, Holy Ghost. Are ye glad that our God is a God of hope? Say amen right there. Verse 14, And I myself also am persuaded of you, my brethren, that ye also are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, able also to admonish one another. Nevertheless, brethren, I have written the more boldly unto you in some sort as putting you in mind because of the grace that is given to me of God, that I should be the minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, ministering the gospel of God, that the offering up of the Gentiles might be acceptable, being sanctified by the Holy Ghost." I have therefore whereof I may glory through Jesus Christ in those things which pertain to God. For I will not dare to speak of any of those things which Christ hath not wrought by me to make the Gentiles obedient by word and deed. Through mighty signs and wonders by the power of the Spirit of God so that from Jerusalem and round about unto Illyricum I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. Yea, so have I strived to preach the gospel, not where Christ was named, lest I should build upon another man's foundation. But as it is written, 
to whom he was not spoken of, they shall see. And they that have not heard shall understand. For which cause also I have been much hindered from coming to you. Skip down to verse 25. But now I go to Jerusalem to minister unto the saints. For it hath pleased them of Macedonia and Achaia to make a certain contribution for the poor saints which are at Jerusalem. It hath pleased them verily, and their debtors they are. For if ye, uh, or for if the Gentiles have been made partakers of their spiritual things, their duty is also to minister unto them in carnal things. When therefore I have performed this, and have sealed to them this fruit, I will come by you into Spain. Let's pray together. Father, we love you, and um, I thank you, Lord, for your goodness. Thank you for this chapter and these verses and what they mean. And I pray, God, that you would cleanse me of all sin and filthiness and evil. And I pray, oh God, that you'd fill me with your spirit. Help us to hear, to understand, and to leave tonight saying it was good to be here in Bible study. And I pray you would use us for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. And amen. You can have a seat. Thank you for standing. I want to kind of dissect most of this chapter, at least from verse 8 down through verse 28, and talk to you about Paul's missionary passion. The missionary passion or the life passion that the Apostle Paul had. Of course, the Apostle Paul was uh, probably outside of uh, Jesus Christ, one of the, the most influential Christian to ever live and write in the Scriptures. There's 13 New Testament books of the Bible that we attribute to his name, and the book of Romans is one of them. And I want you to look in verse uh, number 8. And just by way of introduction, let me get get us up to about verse number 17. In verse 8, we can see something about the promise that Paul endorsed. Verse 8 that we read a few minutes ago says, Now I say that Jesus Christ was a minister of the circumcision for the truth of God to confirm the promises made Unto the fathers. And this, of course, is is speaking about the promise of the Son of God, the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ, whom God the Father would send, the, the third person of the Trinity, if you will, to be the propitiation of the sins for the, the Jewish nation. And the, the Old Testament prophets. Uh, prophesied about this, and as the Apostle Paul is writing to the Romans, he's telling them in verse 8 that he endorses the Old Testament promise of a coming Messiah. And that's important to know that he, as, as one of the main writers in the New Testament, I would venture to say the main writer in the New Testament, endorsed 
the truth of the Old Testament. How many of us know tonight that our entire Bible works together? Say amen right there. And so we see in verse 8 the promise that he endorsed. Then as we look down, verses 9 through 12, we can see the, the prophecies that he echoed. The prophecies that he echoed. And this is where the Old Testament prophets down through the ages in, the, in what we would call the Old Testament era uh, began to preach and to prophesy and to proclaim about this promised Messiah. But there's something interesting in the four instances that he cites here in verses 9 through 12 And that is that those prophets prophesied that not only would Jesus, the Son of God, the Jewish Messiah, come to deliver uh, the, the Jewish people, but that God in His mercy would also include the Gentile nations. That's people like you and people like me. And I am so glad that God had mercy on the Gentile nations. Look at verse 9. And that the Gentiles might glorify God for His mercy. Verse 10, 11, and 12 give three distinct prophecies in the Old Testament where men of God like Isaiah prophesied and uh, said that that would happen. A prophecy is not just a wild guess, by the way. Uh, You can go to uh, a fortune teller if you want to, and you can get a good guesstimate of something that might happen in your future. But in order for a prophet to be counted uh, a real prophet and a prophecy to be included in the canon of the scriptures, there had to be several criteria met. The prophecy had to be specific. The prophecy had to be uh, a time-specific uh, and place-specific. And he echoed the prophecies of the Old Testament. In other words, he put his stamp of approval on it and said, just like they claimed it would be, it's coming to pass and it shall be. Are you with me? Say amen. Amen. So we got the promise he endorsed, the prophecy that he echoed or that he repeated. Then in verses 15 and 16, we find the promise or the purpose that the Apostle Paul embraced. Paul was a man that uh, it's so easy to see if you read through uh, his scriptures, and you read through the book of Romans and 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians and uh, 1 and 2 Timothy and uh, uh, Thessalonians, you can gather that he was not on earth living his life by accident. He was a man that knew where he wanted to go and had a plan to get there, and his life was a life of purpose. Verse 15, uh, he says about that. He says, Nevertheless, brethren, I have written the more boldly uh, unto you in some sort as putting you in mind because of the grace that is given to me of God that I should be the minister of Jesus Christ 
to the Gentiles. Paul's uh, purpose that he embraced was his specific ministry to the Gentile nations. He was one in the book of Acts. Uh, Peter would, uh, would basically preach and minister to the Jewish people. And Paul would be one of the first missionaries sent out of uh, the church at Antioch in Syria. In Acts chapter 13, uh, him and Barnabas, they would be sent out as the first missionaries to go to Gentile nations that were completely Gentile. And he found his purpose in the will of God for his life. His purpose was a missionary purpose. His purpose was a, it was a, a purpose that he received. He felt like he received it straight from heaven into his heart, uh, right from God himself. And you can read through the book of Acts and we'll look at a couple places later where we'll find out that's exactly how he did receive his call and his purpose. And it was to be the minister to the Gentiles. And let me stop right there. And ask you this, do you know your purpose? We're going to dig into that in a, uh, in a, in a couple more uh, moments here. But do you know your purpose? I'll give you a hint. If you're saved by the grace of God, no matter what your gift is, no matter what your calling is, every one of us, our purposes are the same. Our purposes are the same. Our purpose is to glorify God by making disciples. Somebody say amen. And we can't hide behind any gift or any talent and say, well, I do this, but I don't make disciples. It doesn't work that way. We have those gifts and we have those talents so that we can be a part of the body of Christ and we can glorify God through making disciples. And the Apostle Paul, he endorsed this promise. He echoed the prophecy. He embraced his purpose. But let me show you also the passion, the passion that he embodied. And that's where I want to kind of hunker down a little bit tonight in verses 17 and following, we can find out that preaching the gospel to people who had never heard the name of Jesus Christ, that was the passion that the Apostle Paul had. As a matter of fact, I want you to look and I want to read these uh, verses again. Verse, uh, verse number 20, he says, Yea, so have I strived... To preach the gospel. Not where Christ was named. In other words, not where people already were familiar with Him. Not where people already knew about the gospel. uh, Lest I should build upon another man's foundation. But as it is written, to whom He was not spoken of, they shall see. And they that have not heard uh, shall understand. The apostle Paul found... Within his purpose, he found this passion of taking the gospel to people who have never heard the gospel before. And I say he was passionate about it, and you can see his passion all through his writings. Right here he said, yea, in verse 20, so have I strived 
to preach the gospel. The word strive means to contend. It means to contest something. It it literally means to make efforts, to use exertions, to endeavor with earnestness or to labor hard. And the Apostle Paul says, basically what he's saying is, when I found my purpose in life, I didn't take a leisurely stroll until I got to heaven one day. I didn't kick back and take it easy and work a couple days a week. He's saying here, I have labored in this calling. I have contended for the faith. When Paul was at the the, the latter years of his life and writing in 2 Timothy, he said, I have fought a good fight. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown. Amen? He was a man of passion. And I want to tell you today that, boy, the church is missing people like this. We are not necessarily short on passion, but the the sad thing is that all too often, Christians, sometimes our passions are misplaced. We have passion. We're passionate people. The question is, in what direction? About what subject? About what life's direction are we passionate about? Can I give you this proposition? I believe that every Christian here tonight can live passionately for God by following the three examples that are given to us in this chapter of the Bible. So I'm going to give you three examples that the the Apostle Paul exemplified, and I think that if we'll put them in, in, in practice in our own life, we can also live with passion. So example number one, I'm taking from verses 15, 16, and 20, and here it is. He aligned with God's purpose. The Apostle Paul was careful to align his life with God's life. He was careful to make sure what he worked hard at is what God intended him to work hard on. Somebody say amen right there. Uh, Busy is not always good. I found that out in our ministry. Over the years, there's some times where I'll go through a stretch of a few months or weeks or whatever, and I'll be as busy as anybody else. But I was just working on things that didn't really move the ball down the court, so to speak. So, so just being busy is not enough. We need to come to that place in our life to where we figure out what it is that God wants from us And then if we're not headed in that exact direction, figure out how we can get our... uh, um, I'm trying to use a word, concordance. That's a a book you look up words in. Coordinates. What am I trying to say, Scott? Huh? Yeah, course. I like that, John. That's easier. Uh, Less syllables in that one. 
we got to get our course charted in the direction that God is going. Amen. I said a moment ago that the purpose of the church is to glorify God through making disciples. Now understand what I'm saying. We don't literally make disciples. I mean, you can't go down to Walmart or WDG and buy a pack of disciple babies and stick them in the oven at 450, and then, you know, they're done in 45 minutes. What I'm talking about, and I'm sorry to be so uh, literal, but, you know, I think sometimes us preachers just talk in terminology and we think everybody gets it. What I'm talking about is spending our time Like Preacher said a week or two ago, telling our story, sharing the gospel, helping other people know how to be saved, and then after they get saved, mentoring them through the Bible and through basic discipleship, like the Continue program that we did in the small groups, and helping to develop them into mature followers of Jesus Christ. So when a preacher says, we should be making disciples, that's what, at least what I mean. Amen? The Bible says in Matthew 28, 19 and 20, and here's where we get this. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. And and here's the thing. Teaching them to observe all things. Whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. So Jesus says, go, preach, baptize, and teach them. Teach them how to love me. Teach them how to follow me. Teach them how to understand God's word. And nothing glorifies God more than a disciple making a disciple. One uh, uh, a person that I read behind said that the, the glorification of the, uh, of the Savior is the magnification uh, or the multiplication of the saints. In other words, when more saints are added to the church, God gets more glory. Amen? So there's a few hundred of us in here tonight, which is a blessing. If all of us give God glory tonight, that's wonderful. But if everybody won one person to the Lord and discipled them, well, this time next year, there would be double this amount of people. So would God get less glory, the same amount of glory, or more glory if there was double these people? God would get more glory. And that's the activity that God wants us to be passionate about. How did the Apostle Paul align himself with God's purpose? I think he simply did that by obeying God's call. He said yes. He said okay. He said I'll go. I remember when Malcolm Sr. uh, led me to the Lord... I was 18 and had only been in church maybe five dozen times before that in my life. So I didn't have a lot of knowledge. As a matter of fact, just several months after that, I felt like God was calling me to preach because 
Pastor Malcolm told me God was. That's the honest truth. And, um, and he told me to go home and pray about it and talk to him on Sunday. That was like on a Saturday or maybe a Friday. I can't remember. Well, I went down the road and figured, why wait to pray? I'll just pray right now. And I felt in my heart that, yes, God was calling me to preach. So I just turned around and, and went back to uh, Pastor Malcolm's house. Our pastor, Malcolm, I went to his house and knocked on his door again. He opened up the door. He said, what is it? I said, yes. He said, yes, what? I said, he was telling me to be a preacher. He said, huh? I said, and I said, I'd do it. Here's the thing. I was a young Christian, and I was still naive. I didn't know you were supposed to run from God for 10 or 15 years. Honestly, I, so I, I started, I went to Bible college and I started learning and then I started hearing all these people's testimony. Well, I ran from God for 4,900 years and then I surrendered. And I thought, well, I sure missed out. I didn't know you was allowed to run from somebody as big as God. But here's the thing. The Apostle Paul says in verse 15, the last part, Because of the grace that is given to me of God. Paul knew something about his purpose and his calling. He knew it wasn't simply because he said, okay God, I'll go. He knew it was the grace of God working in his life to call him to that place of submission and surrender. And I would be a fool to stand here and say that the things God has done in my uh, ministerial career is only because I agreed to go. It's the grace of God. And here's something I want to share with you. If God is calling you to be a missionary, or if God is calling you to be a preacher, or a life group leader, or someone who's a disciple maker, or or whatever God's calling you to do, that that call sometimes can be intimidating. Am I right? It can be sometimes scary. But don't think about the call as much as you think about the grace of God that's extending that invitation into your life. Now I promise you this, where God guides, He provides. Where God leads, He precedes. And if God's calling you to it, God will see you through it. Somebody say amen right there. In Acts chapter 9, verses 3 through 6, that's the biblical account of where Saul said yes to God. The Bible says, and as he journeyed, he came near Damascus. And suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven. And he fell to the earth and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he said, who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said unto him, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. 
And he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? He went in a moment's time from saying, Who are you, Lord? Like, is that you, God? He went from that to, What would you have me to do, Lord? And some of us need to change our attitude. Some of us need to change from from saying, Lord, to Lord. Because if He's calling, His calling is a gracious calling. And it's a great, great calling. I was thinking about Jonah this morning. We're talking about how the Apostle Paul aligned with God's purpose. And you know, Jonah's greatest problem in my estimation is that he was unwilling to submit to God's purpose. I kind of imagine Jonah as a a great prophet. He probably did a lot of stuff for God. But then God comes up with what Jonah thought was was a harebrained idea to go give God's goodness to these Gentile people in Nineveh. And Jonah, I think, did not want to be known as the prophet that was responsible for that. He was prejudiced. And he was prideful. And so, the Bible says in Jonah 1, Now the word of the Lord came unto Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up uh, before me. But Jonah, now watch this, But Jonah rose up to flee unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord, and went down to Joppa, Uh, uh, and he found a ship going to Tarshish, so he paid the fare thereof, and it always cost to run from God. will always pay. He paid the fare thereof, and he went down into it to go with them unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Notice two things before we move on. Notice what Jonah left. He left the presence of God. Remember, God's always been omnipresent. He's everywhere. God's always been omnipotent. He's all-powerful. God's always been omniscient. That means He's all-knowing. There's never been a time when God's been less than He is today. Never. However, in the Old Testament... Before the death, burial, crucifixion, and uh, uh, resurrection and ascension of Jesus back to heaven. Before that, in the Old Testament times, the Holy Spirit did not dwell inside of people. The Holy Spirit, if we read our Bible, we find out that the Holy Spirit would come upon people from time to time. The Holy Spirit would move people From time to time. He did not indwell people until after the resurrection and ascension. 
When he ascended unto uh, God the Father, thank God that John chapter 14, 15, and 16 teaches us that he would not leave us comfortless, so he sent the Comforter, the Holy Ghost. But in the Old Testament times, it was not so. And Jonah left the presence of God. He literally decided that what God was asking was too big of an ask, And he literally ran from God's presence. But notice what, not only what he left, but notice what he lost. In Jonah 1, 4 through 6, it says, But the Lord sent out a great wind into the sea. There was a mighty tempest in the sea, so the ship was like to be broken. Then the mariners were afraid and cried every man unto his God. And cast forth the wares that were in the ship into the sea to lighten it of them. Now listen. But Jonah was gone down into the sides of the ship and he lay and was fast asleep. So the shipmaster came to him and said unto him, What meanest thou, O sleeper? Arise, call upon thy God. If so be that he will think upon us that we perish not. So what Jonah left was the presence of God, but what Jonah lost was his passion for God. When he left God's presence, he lost his passion. And I got to tell you, when I was studying this this morning, I've preached this message before. I might have preached it here for all I know. My life's been a whirlwind the last few months. I don't know what I've preached about where. I know I've preached this sermon somewhere before. But when I was studying this, this Jonah part was brand new to me. And I had to literally get up away from my desk and just go outside and do something different for a while because I was so convicted. Because I know that I've left presence of God a lot of times even recently well what do you mean the spirit of God lives in you yes but if you go from reading your Bible and studying and praying every morning on time faithfully to now and again when you're not busy you're leaving the daily presence of God so that's what he left and what he lost was his passion Folks, don't don't think that you're going to be on fire for God if you're not in the presence of God. It just don't work that way. I wish it did. I wish it was an awesome shortcut. And if it was, I'd write a book and maybe get a deal and praise God, buy a boat or something. If it sold a bunch, that's exactly what I'd do. Then I'd be further away from the Lord probably. Here I'm talking about Jonah buying a boat. What the world? (laughs) now I'm feeling more convicted let me ask you this is the direction you're headed and what you're doing in your life overall heading with God or are you off course we're talking about passion example one he aligned himself with God's purpose let me give you example number two He also adjusted his own plans. I love this part. Uh, Matter of fact, this is 
this verse, verse 22, is really the verse that just got me a few weeks ago. And, 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 I, and I kind of built this sermon around this one thought and this one verse. Verse 22. You see, the Apostle Paul had not yet been to Rome to visit the Christians in the church at Rome. He wanted to go. Matter of fact, I I didn't write the verses down here, but there's at least two other places in the book of Romans where the Apostle Paul says, I'm desirous to see you. I, I want to come unto you. He was trying to get to Rome to see the Christians so that he might impart some spiritual gift unto them. I don't know, Scott, if you know where that verse is, but he wanted to impart some spiritual gift. He wanted to go to Rome. But listen to what happened. He says in verse 22, For which cause also I have been much hindered from coming unto you. Now watch, the Apostle Paul, uh, hindrances were common in his life. He was a great apostle filled with the Spirit, but there was many times where he was hindered. I found two distinct places. For example, in 1 Thessalonians 2, 17 and 18, we find out that he was hindered by Satan when he wanted to go to Thessalonica. The Bible says, But we, brethren, being taken from you for a short time in presence, not in heart, endeavored the more abundantly to see your face with great desire. He's saying, we want to come see you in Thessalonica. Wherefore, we would have come unto you, even I, Paul, once and again, watch this, but Satan hindered us. So he was hindered by Satan on that occasion. On another occasion in Acts 16, he was hindered by the Spirit, the Spirit of God, when he wanted to go to Bethania. The Bible says after they uh, were come to Messiah, they essayed to go into Bethania. But the Spirit suffered them not. The word essayed, it means attempted. So they tried to go into uh, Bethania. They attempted to go. Me and April tried to go to the Philippines one time. We bought and paid for our tickets. We got on the plane. We made it as far as uh, New York City. And about the time we was landing, our other plane was taking off. <laughs> we paid a lot, thousands of dollars. We took off. We did all that stuff. We essayed to go, but we were hindered by an ice storm. So, He was hindered by Satan at one point, hindered by the Holy Spirit at another point. But stay with me. Here in this chapter, in verse 22, he hindered himself. He was hindered by his own self. It says, for which cause also I have been much hindered from coming unto you. In other words... He says in verse 20 and 21, his burning passion, his desire is to preach Christ where Christ has never been preached. And the job wasn't finished yet. And so Paul says it's because of that 
The task is unfinished. My, my job is incomplete. There's more places to preach. Because of that mission, I can't stop and come to you in fellowship. Do you see the dots connecting? He was so passionate that he adjusted his own plans. This is not a camp meeting, shout the house down, swing from the chandelier Baptist church sermon. Because when you talk about somebody might need to change their plans and make room for God's plans... It's convicting. It convicts me. I've been making plans for a few days to go on this uh, a camping trip. And I've been texting my buddies and they've been texting me and hey, we got this tent, we got this kayak, we got this whatever. We, and we're making our plans. Paul was the kind of guy that all of his plans, were he, he put them on the chopping block. And if God needed to chop them, Paul let them, he let them die. I guess the question is, how about us? Listen, if we want to be passionate and have passion and make a difference, we've got to be willing to adjust our plans. And who better to exemplify that than the Apostle Paul? Because he was a, he was a scholar. Before he got saved, he was a scholar. He was brought up in Jerusalem at the feet of Gamaliel, which is one of the, uh, uh, the best priests, the best teachers. He knew the law backwards and forwards. He was very zealous for God. He persecuted Christians. I mean, he thought his life was planned out. And then, boom, Jesus showed up on the scene. And Paul had to change everything about his life. But I bet you there's some people in here tonight like that. You were living one way. You were doing your thing. You were probably happy about it. And then all of a sudden, somebody invited you to church. Or you, you heard a sermon one too many times. Or somebody knocked on your door and told you about Jesus. Or somebody prayed for you over and over. And all of a sudden, God convicted you. And your eyes were open. And you, 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 you submitted your life to God. You got saved. And then all of a sudden, the world looked new. And you began to adjust your plans. Folks, that's not crazy. That's God's will. It's God's will. And we can have a missionary passion. You say, well, I'm not a missionary. Well, we're all called to be disciple makers. And that's what the Apostle Paul was. He had his son in the faith, Timothy. He had another one named Titus. He taught them, trained them, equipped them. He started churches and he left them there to pastor. He was a disciple maker. And you can do that if you're a stay-at-home mom. You can do that if you're a pipe fitter or a plumber or a carpenter or a pastor or a church staff member or a missionary or, or, or a salesman. Whoever we are and wherever we work and whatever we do, we can adjust our plans to fit God's plan for our life. And when we do that, passion comes. So many people tell me stuff like, 
Well, when I get a burden, I'll give. But that's backwards. How about give and let the burden come? I promise you write a big enough check, you'll, you'll get a burden. <laughs> you might get a burden to get it back. I don't know. But our heart follows our action. Our heart follows our action. In other words, do what we know is right and trust God that we'll feel it later. Why is it that us Baptists are like, we, we preach, you, you know, we're like, just you, you get saved by faith, not by feelings. You trust God. The feelings is a caboose. Don't trust in your feelings. But we only really count that for getting saved. Well, how about for serving God? How about for giving? How about for, for soul winning? How about for every other aspect of the Christian life? Don't wait till you feel something. Go do something and God will maybe let you feel it. And if He don't, you can lay your head down at night and be comfortable and sleep with peace knowing you did the will of God. Amen? All right, let me wind this up. Man, I didn't even get to the sub point. How, do you, how did he adjust his own plans? By living for a cause. That's the sub point there. A underneath number two. By living for a cause. His cause was he was the, mis- the minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles. He was a church planner. He was a disciple maker. And he lived every day like that, adjusting his plans to be in the will of God. And his passion followed him. His passion followed him. Let me give you the third Example. What was number one? He, no, example number one. He aligned with God's purpose. Example number two. Adjusted his own plans. Example number three. He attended to others' plight. To the plight of others. Or to the hardship of others. Or to the to the need of others. And that's right here in this same context. Verses uh, 25 through 28. He said, but now I go unto Jerusalem to, to minister unto the saints. Remember, he wanted to go to Rome. But he says, now I go to Jerusalem to minister unto the saints. For it hath pleased them of Macedonia and Achaia to make a certain contribution for the poor saints which are at Jerusalem. It hath pleased them verily, and their debtors they are. For if the Gentiles have been made partakers of their spiritual things, their duty is also to minister unto them in carnal things. Let me explain that. The church at Jerusalem was like the mother church. Um, in Acts chapter 1, 8, ye shall be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost parts. Things, Christianity started there. It, that's where, it, that was the first hub of the gospel, Jerusalem. And then when Paul and, and Barnabas went preaching... They went to Antioch, Assyria. A church was established there. And by and by, the hub of Christian activity, especially missionary activity, shifted from Jerusalem 
to, to, uh, to Antioch in Syria. And then they went out preaching to places like Macedonia. And mission churches were established among the Gentiles. Well, now it's a few years later. And because of famine and persecution, the original church in Jerusalem, the people were suffering in poverty and famine. They were hungry. And so the little mission churches in Macedonia and Achaia and those places, they heard about the plight of the Christians in Jerusalem, and they got a burden. They were concerned. So much so that even when they didn't have no money, the Bible says they first gave of their own selves to the Lord, and then they gave money. They gave an offering, a relief offering. And they gave it to Paul and Titus and entrusted them, because they were the traveling preachers, they entrusted them to deliver it. They didn't have... uh, UPS or MoneyGram. No MoneyGram, no PayPal. So they had to send it by somebody, and they sent it by the Apostle Paul. So Paul says, now I'm on my way to take this relief, this money, this love offering to the poor saints at Jerusalem. And you can find the whole account of this in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Verses 1 through 9 is when this actually happened in your, in your Bible. So here, he's telling the Romans about that. He's telling them he's taking this offering. So how is it that the Apostle Paul attended to others' plight? What does that mean? Well, he did that by his affection and by his action. In other words... Paul loved the Jerusalem church enough to once again put his desire to go to Rome on hold so he could go deliver this love gift and bring relief to the people that needed it. So you can see his affection. He attended to people in need by his affection. Philippians 2, 3-4 through 4 says, Let nothing do, uh, be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Philippians 2, 20 says, For I have no man like-minded who will naturally care for your state, for all seek their own, not the things which are Jesus Christ. In other words, there was times when Paul felt alone because nobody else wanted to adjust their plans for the work of God. That's one of the saddest verses in the Bible. He attended to their plight by his affection and by his action. Now listen, Paul not only cared... And not only said he loved, but he allowed that affection and that love to turn into action. That's why the Bible says, go, go ye therefore. We can't say we love the world if we're not going with God's grace to the world. 2 Corinthians 8, right when this, when Paul's telling the Corinthians about the Macedonians' gift, he told that to the Corinthian church to encourage them to do the same, to be generous in giving. And he said in verse 11, Now therefore perform the doing of it, 
That as there was a readiness to will, so there may be a performance also out of that which you have. He told those at, at Corinth, look what the Macedonians did. It's your example. Now you go love like they love. You go be affectionate like they were affectionate. Love somebody and make a difference. Folks, We can live with passion. And we can do so if we follow these examples. Let me ask you this. Are you helping others nothing will keep our passion alive for souls like taking action, sharing the gospel, and helping someone in Jesus' name. I want to end with a couple pictures that I, that I brought back from the Philippines. These are from the Temple Baptist Church Medical Mission. The team just got back three weeks ago, I guess, two weeks ago. And uh, go, can you go back to that first one? This, of course, is Miss Nancy Phillips. Uh, I almost didn't show you this one because it's pretty graphic, but that's love in action. That's affection and infection, by the way. <laughs> but you can see her affection and her action. This lady came, and I think she had everything in the medical dictionary wrong with her foot. And she said, I don't know what to do. Nancy jumped into action. She said, give me some peroxide, give me some bandages, give me some gloves, and I'll show you the love of Jesus by working on your foot that most people wouldn't even dare be close to. She took action. This next picture, that's my daughter Sarah uh, in the blue shirt, and there's Ashley Fell over there to the left. And they were, Ashley's a nurse, and Sarah was helping her, like doing her translation work for her into the Elongo language. But as I look at Sarah's face and I look at Ashley's face, I, what do I see? I see affection. I see love in action. I see two eager young ladies that are just right there being the hands and feet of Jesus, so to speak. The next picture, though, that's Dustin, of course, and, and uh, Coleman. And this is what I loved about the mission team that our church sent to the Philippines to work with our April and I's ministry and Tara's ministry. This is what it was. They spent literally as much time as needed before anybody could ever see a nurse or a doctor, they went to the gospel stations. And here Dustin and Coleman are sitting there and they've got their Bible open and they're taking their time. They didn't rush. They didn't hurry them through so we could get more numbers to come back and report. They took their time, 20, 30, 40 minutes, sometimes an hour if needed to share Christ with people. The next picture, the young lady in the blue, of course that's Pastor Andrew, and then the young lady in the blue, that's one of our staff members for Unsheltered International Philippines. She's 20 years old, I think. Uh, her name's Elena. And she lives, matter of fact, is there anybody here 
Any of the seniors here that, that support the Bridge Kids? Any, anybody here that support the Bridge Kids Meal Center? Where are all the seniors at? Oh, back here some. This young girl, Elena, grew up underneath that bridge and was saved because of that ministry. Miss Jane, she got saved years ago. Now she's the teacher. And she was one of our soul winners. And she loved this elderly Filipino woman so much. After she won her to the Lord, she just reached over and gave her a big old hug. And I think I got one more picture maybe. That's Joy Griggs. I don't know what she's telling that woman. She's telling her something. No, she's telling her the gospel. She's just sitting there imparting spiritual truth. Is, is that all of them or is there any more? Oh, here's one. Here's my son Hunter and Madison Wren. And they're all holding hands. The guy on the left is the interpreter, I think. And the lady on the right just got saved. And they're praying for that precious soul. Now the picture with the foot is cool. Helping a homeless person uh, with, with shelter is, is awesome. But spending as much time that's needed praying with lost souls so that they can know the same grace that we know, that's the best. That's disciple making. That's affection and that's action. I challenge you to find any of the 19 people that went on the mission trip and ask them if they're more passionate about missions now than they were before they went. I guarantee you, a lot of them will say, well, I was nervous about going. I had second thoughts. They'll say, but now I'm ready to go either back to the Philippines or somewhere. I'm ready to go. It's a passion of mine now. Why? Because passion always follows action. So let's follow these examples and let's live with a missionary passion every day. And when we do that, folks, we can make a big difference for the cause of Christ. Amen? Amen. Let's all stand and we're going to pray and then we'll be dismissed. And listen, there may be somebody here tonight that's, uh, maybe you feel like God is just dealing with your heart about preaching, about missions, about leading a group, about about something in your life. After we dismiss, there's probably some altar workers that can can be up here. Listen, uh, the altar's open every week, right? Not just on Sunday morning. Tonight, if you feel God speaking to your heart, I challenge you, find a place in this altar and don't go home without praying about it. All right, let's pray. Father, we love you. And thank you, God, for loving us. Thank you for the message.